This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Welcome to another episode of AMI Audio Live's coverage of the 2020 Zero Project Conference. My name is Andy Frank. The Zero Project, an initiative of the Essel Foundation, focuses on the rights of persons with disabilities globally. It provides a platform where the most innovative and effective solutions to problems facing persons with disabilities are shared. Its sole objective is to assist in creating a world without barriers, zero barriers, based on the articles of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Zero Project's annual conference, held at the UN Building in Vienna, celebrates these solutions with awards. You can learn more about Zero Project at zeroproject.org. The theme of the 2020 conference was education, and in this episode, we'll sample four ways where technology played a lead role in making education more accessible. Let's take a little trip around the world, beginning in Australia. Young students who are blind or partially sighted are often disadvantaged in education. In addition, using technology often requires special skills. There are few accessible learning resources to acquire and practice these skills. Sono Kids, an Australian social enterprise that produces Bollyland, addressed this problem by creating a range of gamified educational software programs and apps for blind children. I spoke with Fia Damsma of Sono Kids at the Zero Project Conference in February of 2020. Young children who are blind or visually impaired, they often uh, don't get early access to technology. And if they get early access to technology, they don't have the skills to use the technology, which means that they lag behind in, in life and in education, not because they can't do it, but because they don't have the skills. They haven't been taught how to do it. And um, it's like, you know, if you ask somebody to cut a piece of paper without a pair of scissors and you don't teach them how to use the scissors, you can't cut the paper. And these children are absolutely capable of doing all these things, but you need to learn the skills to do it. And because it's not as intuitive as for somebody who has vision. So um, to, to close that gap that they don't get disadvantaged, we teach children to learn uh, how to use technology from a very young age through games, educational games which they really love, so they have fun and they learn all these essential skills at an early age so that by the time they need to really use them in school, they are effective users of technology. Can you describe the apps a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, they're, they're really nice. Uh, we, lo- we love our Bollylanders. So the project is called Bollyland, B-A-L-L-Y, because all the characters are balls, ball-shaped characters, uh, they live in an imaginary world called Bollyland, and that's full of sound and songs and stories, but also images and animations because it's inclusive for students uh, with and without vision so that they can learn and play together. Um, and uh, what happens is that uh, there, there are games in which the Bollylanders are having some sort of adventure and the children interact with the iPad or the, or the, the laptop. And um, they, they do uh, things that they then can use later in a formal situation on their computer or on their iPad. And there's a variety of these products available at the app stores, right? 
Yes, we now have 11 apps, so it's a whole suite of apps, and you can uh, choose from one that is for really young children to learn just the interaction with an iPad in a very informal way, just touch and uh, put your, if you put your fist on the screen, it will still work. And then there's one that teaches the real uh, gestures for voiceover, which is the built-in screen reader on uh, Apple uh, touchscreen devices. So on your iPhone and your iPad, it's built in. Um, and if you turn that on, your your screen will talk to you, but you need to use specific gestures with your fingers and know how to listen to the commands of the voiceover. And uh, so that's another app that teaches children exactly that. And it's a game. It's a, a magic show with the Bollylanders. And then there's a memory, sound memory game. And we have three code apps with which children as young as five years old, if they're blind or low vision, can learn programming. Are these... Um, our schools, like in Canada, we have uh, the W. Ross uh, McDonald School for the Blind. Um, would they be familiar with something like that? Would, would they typically be familiar with, with your product? I would suppose so. I would be surprised if they weren't. Uh, we have uh, many, many users from Canada. Um, and um, um, we also worked in the past with the Canadian National Institute for the Blind uh, on some uh, accessible games for the for the library uh, portal, um, and Bollyland is, is well. It, it get, we are working on it for. We've been working together as Sonokids for 20 years. Uh, the first Bollyland software application was launched in 2013. Um, so we've been going for a while, and um, interestingly, uh, sometimes you get to know from other people that they go to a school and they say, oh, I've got something new, and then the children say, oh, we know, we know the Bollylanders. So I would hope so, and if not, they should contact me. Contact me. <laughs> All right, I've got to ask you two personal questions. One of them is, you were knighted in Holland. Why? Uh, well, I was knighted by the King of the Netherlands, but it happened in Australia, because that's where I live, and very unusually, they had actually asked the ambassador from the Netherlands in Australia to give me the knighthood on behalf of King Willem-Alexander of the Netherlands. It was a total ex surprise to me. It happened in January this year uh, in, at a conference that I was uh, the president of this uh, organization for the blind. And um, it's for, for the work I've been doing for 20 years in the Netherlands and then now in Australia because they appreciate the fact that I bring to the community um, all the support and a lot of volunteering work, and both in nationally in the Netherlands and now bringing it abroad. It was seen as, a, as an additional thing. And I don't know if you know Johan Cruijff, if you're into soccer, but he was a famous Dutch soccer player, and he, he was a knight in the same order as me, and I feel very, very uh, proud of that. <laughs> Does it, did your name change? Are you like, you know, like they do in the UK when they knight people? Oh, interesting that you ask that, because at the conference I was there with all the colleagues, all the qualified teachers of the vision impaired in Australia for the South Pacific region, and they all came up to the ambassador and they said, should we now call her Dame Fia? And the ambassador for the Netherlands said, no, in the Netherlands we are very laid back and nobody has a title, so it's just Fia. <laughs> <laughs> True to their philosophy, that's yes. good. Finally, what is it years ago that inspired you to pursue this line of work? Um, well, I always feel that it just come on, came on my way. I've always worked uh, with in communication, education with children, 
And then at some point, uh, 20 years ago, I just got um, uh, an email from a parent of a child who was blind. And they approached me about some of the projects I was doing, and their, their daughter really liked them, but if I could improve the accessibility. And I thought, what is this accessibility? So I, I really wanted to know more about it, and I did a course in accessibility at the Institute for the Blind in the Netherlands. And um, I never left that, that type of work anymore. It's just something that I'm really passionate about, that, that everybody should have access to and what they want to know and what they want to learn, and that it's not fair if you, if you can't do what you want to do just because you have a vision impairment. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Well, congratulations. Thank you so much. That was Fia Demsma of Sono Kids at the Zero Project Conference in February of 2020. You can learn more about Bollyland at sonokids.org. S-O-N-O-Kids.org. Meanwhile, in 2015, two teachers at the Univalli University in Brazil started a project based on their doctoral theses to develop digital games. The project encourages the creation of digital games by children through a framework named I've made my game involving children with and without disabilities. My name is Adriana Gomes Alves. I am from Brazil, south of Brazil. I work at the university, Univalli University. What was the problem that you were targeting with this particular project that you are going to be acknowledged for here at Zero Project? Uh, the problem is that uh, children with disabilities um, rarely is included in activities, especially with uh, digital skills. So we think about uh, include them in this, this kind of um, solution and to direct them to create games, create technology, not just use them. That's a great challenge. So how do you get children to create these games? We define a framework uh, like a process where uh, children will create games uh, during many workshops during the year at school, at a regular school. Uh, children with and without disability, that student stood in the same class. So they have many kinds of activities to develop to create the game. Since the first moment when they created the idea, what, what is a game? And to create this game, to know uh, which part of the game, the story of the game, many kinds of concepts that they have to develop to create the game. And what does this do? for the child? What benefits? Many benefits because they have to work together, a collective and um, community work, okay? They have to learn to uh, work with the colleagues, not, not just the disability child, other child need to negotiate to learn about many things because during the the work they decide what what about will be the game and we made researches about the team uh, like one of the the schools they decided to go to create a game about China 
but they don't know where China is, where. So we have to uh, show them and pictures, uh, history from China, and characters from China. They uh, learn about this, for example, geography or history, uh, because they choose the the team the team for the the game and mathematics because uh, every game has some kind of uh, um, count so uh, they they have many opportunities to learn during the the, the the way so the concept is quite simple really it, by engaging students with disabilities in a creative fashion they learn more than by just being told what 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 they know or what they don't know yes uh, they they learn because they are working together with these colleagues the same the same thing they colleagues are doing they are doing either so uh, we t we can adapt some things depend on the the difficult of the children and in some cases children with disabilities reveals um, many kinds of um, abilities that was not known because they don't have that kind of opportunity to, to develop. Uh, we work with a boy with um, intellectual disability that can show by draws all his ideas. He draw many things to the game. He was very involved in the process. So there's a group of you who are doing this. It was part of a, a PhD study, correct? Yes. Um, why, did you, why did you choose to do this? What motivates you? Why? Uh, it's the beginning when my, my own child uh, designed a game because I am a teacher from uh, game design at university either. And she designed a game, and I was working in a project with, uh, about intellectual disability in Brazil and we think why not use create games to help development skills uh, to children with uh, intellectual disabilities so we use the to create this process or how they could be involved uh, yeah, we think that is very interesting because games is very attractive for all of them with or without disabilities because children love games and uh, it was very, very um, gratifying. <laughs> Thank you very much. This is a beautiful project. Congratulations. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. That was Adriana Gomez Alves of Univalli University in Brazil. Starting with just four students in 2015, the project now enrolls about 50 students. In 2019, the project included seven children with intellectual disabilities. You can learn more at zeroproject.org, go to Conference 2020, and scroll to Univalli University in Brazil. On our little journey during this episode, we started in Australia, visited Brazil, and now we'll skip over the Atlantic to Cork, Ireland, where we'll learn all about online training for parents and teachers of children with learning disabilities. Hi, my name is James Northridge. I'm from Ireland, uh, so I'm here as part of one of the award winners. So I'm at Zero Project, super excited to be here, obviously. 
In terms of our company, Eurability has probably been around for, I want to say, four to five years. Um, but we haven't been overly focused on the project that we're here for in that time. And really, it was sort of a learning journey. Being somebody with dyslexia, ADHD myself, I had used assistive technology all throughout my educational experience, both good and bad. Um, struggling sometimes awfully and you know, dropping out of school, not making it through university. Um, and certainly I felt that there was something I needed to do to help and support educators, paraprofessionals and parents. Uh, and it's, it's really, that's what Eurobill is all about. It's a belief that there is something that's lacking in that kind of ecosystem of using technology but actually integrating it into the system. So Eurability is operated from Ireland. We're currently running online courses for parents, special educators and paraprofessionals. We probably have somewhere in the region of uh, 800 people on the course already um, that have taken that. And for me, that means that 800 families and more have been impacted that, that now can potentially reach their full potential. So you found that one of the challenges was to have parents and others uh, learn to use the right assistive technology and and learn how to use it and access it and so on. Yeah, I I think one of the biggest things that came to me was that, specifically within an Irish context, um, and it isn't too dissimilar in, in, in North America, so kids get assistive technology, they're given the technology, but they don't necessarily get the training and the support in terms of how to use it. So we may end up giving a child a Chromebook, an iPad, a device. We expect that they can use that device. However, if their teachers don't know how to use it, if they don't know how to integrate it and let them access the curriculum, then it becomes useless. It just becomes a piece of tech that they chuck in their bag and you know it just weighs them down. Um, and so what we saw over the years, and what we did for the first four or five years, is we thought, let's do this face-to-face. Let's bring kids and families into universities uh, all across Ireland and the UK, and let's try and teach them how to use technology on a one-to-one basis. But of course, you can only scale that so much, right? Um, so we did that for five summers. We brought probably up to 2,000 kids into summer camps uh, across Ireland and the UK, and it was a brilliant experience. It was, it was great fun. Um, however, it just wasn't scalable, and, and it, it didn't give me the reach. It didn't allow me to impact as many families as I felt was possible. And, and so where I see the disconnect is we have the technology and it, we're almost moving away from assistive technology into just like mainstream tech. And we need to inform parents, educators, what's out there, how it can be used, and what's literally sitting in their pocket has the power to enable somebody to either you know, reach their potential or not. Um, and that, that for me certainly was one of the key problems I saw. So how do you do that? How do you make it more scalable? Yeah, that's, that's, what we, that's what we've worked on for the last three years, right? So I moved to Boston uh, as part of a Marie Curie Research Fellowship. I did three years research at UMass Medical School, and we looked at what are speech and language pathologists, occupation therapists, special educators, what are they doing in terms of selecting technology and training families and kids to use te- that technology that they receive? How do they do it? What sort of methods are they using? And how could we take that and potentially develop an algorithm, an online training course that's distinct, that's relatively accessible, that's easy for people to use um, in the moment? So, so obviously we went online, we went fully captioned, tr- uh, transcripts for every video, all videos under eight minutes, very easy to read English. Um, we have cheat sheets, downloads, then we have a kind of a community sense so we have private groups that families and prof- professionals can meet online 
after they've taken the course and sort of connect in terms of the barriers or challenges that they might be still seeing. So we've developed an online course that's built around my research for three or four years and we tested it initially in Ireland. Um, so like I say, we probably have up to 900 or 1,000, give or take now, having taken that, a mixture of teachers, paraprofessionals and parents probably about 600 parents have taken the course and, and the feedback is really strong and of course there's a research element as well right we're, we're obviously analyzing kind of pre and post does this really make an impact and what we're seeing is that people can dip into this when they have time um, and, and that's the key difference between face to face you know parents are time poor they literally have 20 minutes on the couch at nine o'clock when they're maybe sitting back they can take in 10-15 minutes of of a video that we've created, content that is really specific to their child or their situation at that given time. And we need to give parents and educators access to materials in the time of need. You know, so it's all well and good having this face-to-face course in the summer or in June, but really the kid is struggling in August um, or the kid is struggling in January when they're sitting in maybe a a state exam. So so where we're going from here is um, we've piloted, like I said, it's in Ireland, we're in in the UK uh, and um, we're potentially moving this towards North America in the next few months. So we have a few pilot sites that will happen in uh, Massachusetts, uh, California and Florida in, in the next few months. So hopefully um, some of you guys that are listening here might, <laughs> might potentially come by us in the next few months. What does it mean for you to be recognized by the Zero Project, which is kind of becoming the Oscars of accessibility? Yeah, you know what? It's, it's an interesting question. Um, and my colleague probably six months ago said I think we should enter the Zero Project and I said no that's ridiculous we'll never possibly get accepted Um, but she badgered me a little bit and so I said right let's do it let's write the application let's submit it Um, and I was to be honest I was a little bit taken to to be selected but but really proud and I I think it could be an Irish thing um, in that we're we're a bit uh, dismissive of our own qualities and our own uh, level of achievement. And, you know, we, we would be more inclined to put ourselves down versus be more like uh, our North American friends, uh, especially when I lived in Boston, who, who are very happy to brag about what they're good at. And so I suppose so I took a little bit of that braggingness that I heard in Boston and I said, you know what, I'm going to go for it. And um, so we're super proud to be the, the only Irish uh, company slash project that's been selected and one of only two from Ireland and the UK. So it gives us great, um, I suppose, recognition and also great drive to to be recognised and to say, you know, this is something that the community needs. This is something that's going to make a difference. Um, and for me, again, being someone who struggled quite a lot in, in my younger years in terms of education, I know that I can impact families that are in a similar situation to me a number of years ago that if, if I can stop that just for one family, phenomenal. If I can stop that for a few thousand families uh, across the world, then even better. you said it all. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. That was James Northridge of Your Ability, a company based in Cork, Ireland, which offers face-to-face training courses for teachers and parents on how to use assistive technology to support their students and children with learning disabilities. Finally, let's end our world travel with a stop in Minnesota. I didn't say this was an efficient trip, but what the heck, it's just virtual. We'll meet Robert Palmquist of Streamer, a website which offers instant captioning and translation. 
Streamer, what it is, is a website that we create for you. It could be a personal website. You could create one for your school or perhaps your place of work. But this is a website that you're going to own, and you're going to be able to use that website to caption, translate, and take notes of any conversation that's occurring, be it a personal conversation where you're having a one-on-one uh, private conversation with a friend or family member, or perhaps a meeting uh, in work where maybe there's a dozen people, uh, to a really large gathering, such as a presentation like right now we're at the uh, United Nations, and there's a large assembly, a room of probably, what, a 1,000 people, and we're going to be simultaneously translating those presentations into 120 different languages. So each member in that audience is going to be able to view a captioning in the language of their choice and to be able to hear it spoken out loud. So that's kind of what we do in a nutshell, is we create a website that you own, you can use as often as you like, and share it with as many people as you want. What differentiates you from some of the publicly available services like Google and so on and so forth? Well, we're certainly publicly available, but I know what you mean. Um, So the free services from places like Google and Microsoft and all the above. The reason Microsoft and Google are giving giving you that uh, access for free is because they want to get hold of your data. And so when you agree to those usage terms, you are giving them permission to take that data, listen to it, and potentially sell it to somebody else. And that does happen. So one huge difference is that we are, by definition, very secure. Everything that we do is encrypted, 64-bit encryption with cipher locks. Everything that we're doing by design has been baked in to be very much secure. Lots of other features that are going on, too. For example, we're a website. You don't need to download an app or install it. You have a website, and then you can share that with as many people as you want. So now you can include other people in your conversation. You can also share documents, send private messaging. So a lot of features that are built into Streamer. Um, But at the same time, it's easy to use. If you just want a caption, just go ahead and do that. But as your needs grow, streamers are going to be able to meet those needs with you. How does streamer come to be? So my previous job. And so uh, are you familiar with James Bond movies? And there's a character called Q that uh, sort of developed these high technology. Well, I was Q. I was Q for the U.S. military intelligence, so one of the Qs, if you will. Um, Very interesting technology, but as time went on, getting a little personal here, but I I disagreed with the way that technology was being used. Not in all cases, um, but as time went on more and more, I decided I just needed to walk away from that position. And when I did, I walked away and I said, I want to do something to make the world a better place. A very simple idea was that to make a world a better place, it'd be better if we could just all talk to each other. A very simple concept. And so that's what we did. We started speech here with the simple concept of let's make a product that enables anybody to talk with anybody at any time in any location. And that's what we've done. So we do the instant language translation. We also do captioning for people that are deaf or hard of hearing. We also do speech generation. So for somebody who's nonverbal, they can use that software to communicate. So we really have achieved that goal of being able to let everybody talk to anybody at any time. And that's meaningful to us. So that's why we did that. And I heard you say this morning that being having a military background means that security was always at the forefront of your design. Yeah, and, and so you know, I came out probably a little harsh against the military previously. And so there are a lot of good things that the military does. There really are. And, and so that was my background. And when I started Speech Gear, we did work with the Marines with the goal of being able to allow the Marines to talk to the local populace. So if they're in the Middle East, to be able to communicate directly in Arabic. And that really is an asset for all parties involved. And so we did start working with the Marine Corps on developing these capabilities. And so at day zero, 
security was very much built into our architecture, and it has remained there. So we do um, pretty extreme things in order to keep, for example, Apple or Google listening in on these conversations. And so that when you use our software, certainly um, in a school setting, we're going to meet any sort of privacy or a hospital with HIPAA standards. Um, we are going to provide that security that you need in order to use an automated captioning and translation system. And that just doesn't exist with the, the free products that are out there today. Where can we get more information? Yeah, so uh, thanks for asking that, too. Um, so the website is www.streamer.center. That was Robert Palmquist of SpeechGear talking about Streamer. Robert spoke with me from Vienna, where both he and our first speaker today, Fia Dansma of Australia, both addressed a special session of the Austrian Parliament to kick off the Zero Project conference. You can get more info on Zero Project at their terrific website, zeroproject.org, if you select 2020 Conference, you can read up on the stories behind all 86 award recipients. More of my related interviews are available at AMI-audio live. I'm Andy Frank. Thank you very much for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Shaun of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.